The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about a lot of the new laws, the new privacy laws in the state of California. And I'm always so pleased to say that our state is really one of the leading states in privacy legislation and just being enlightened about privacy. And the, one of the reasons is because we have this wonderful woman who is the Director of Privacy Education and Policy in the Privacy Enforcement and Protection Unit in the California Department of Justice. And that is Joan McNabb. She's been on our show, I think, just about every year that we've had this show because she always comes on to tell us great information, enlighten us about what's happening in privacy. And I am just so thrilled to call her my friend. I haven't seen her in a long time, but I still think she is just wonderful. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, This unit that she directs, Uh, enforces state and federal privacy laws, it educates consumers and businesses, and it makes recommendations to the Attorney General's Office in California on privacy matters. Joan McNabb is a certified information privacy professional, and she has specializations in government and information technology. She serves on the Privacy Advisory Committee to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and she's a fellow with the Poneman Institute, just like me. And this is a research center on privacy, data protection, and information security policy. From 2001 until 2012, Joan directed the California Office of Privacy Protection, a resource and advocate on privacy issues. And before that, she worked in public affairs and marketing in both public and private sectors. And she has a very interesting life that she worked and lived in 
France, and uh, that was that was pretty exciting as well. She's well-rounded. She's brilliant. She's a great mediator in her own right, and I had the thrill of being one on the advisory council for that Office of Privacy Protection, and now they're doing even bigger and better things with their enforcement agencies. So I thank you, Joan. I love you. Thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, thank you, Mari, for that incredible introduction. Okay, so you got to kind of have us catch up on what's happening in California privacy law. I think there were a bunch of new laws passed last year, right? Yeah, the, California continues to be a leader, and our legislature is very active in trying to keep the law up with changing practices and technologies, which is very challenging, of course. There, there were about a dozen uh, fairly significant new bills that were passed in 2015 taking effect in uh, 2016. They were on topics like uh, the Internet of Things, government surveillance, cyber exploitation, drones, and data breach. Well, let, let's kind of go through a couple of, um, you know, the, the more exciting ones. I think drones are pretty, this is a pretty scary thing. And uh, let's let's go into a little bit more depth with each one of those. Okie doke. Um, I want to first uh, tell you about the changes to the data breach law um, because uh, this, yes. this new law came partly as a result of some recommendations that the Attorney General's office had made based on what we've seen in our work with data breaches. So the new law, which took, took effect in January 2016, uh, require, is intended to make breach notices easier for us to understand if we get one. You know, I've I've looked at lots of breach notices. I suppose many people have gotten one by yes. now, and, and I know you have studied them also, Mari, and they can be dense, legalistic, many right. pages, really hard to figure out what this is about. It doesn't look good, but you can't understand it often. Right. It's kind of written in, in legalese. So what the new amendment to the law requires is that it's about the format of them. Not doesn't change the content, but it requires that they use a, the title, Notice of Data Breach, so it, you can see this isn't just a business letter, this is something to pay attention to, and then it has to use headers, the headers mm-hmm. being what happened, what personal information was involved, what we, the, the company or organization that was breached, what we are doing, and what you can do, and for more information, here's whom to contact. So just so you can, at a glance, figure out what it's about. And we, we did some preliminary testing on, on the formats, and, and this format is people generally understand it better than previous un, unformatted, dense ones. So we, we think this is a good thing. And, and I think what's really great about it, some people just, they get something like this, they don't even care about anything about, like, but what should we do? You know, so yeah. they can go right to that head note, what should I do? Yep. And then they can go back and read the others. So I think uh, head notes are so important, and they really help people to see the importance. Because if you get a long letter and you don't know, there's no head notes, you you kind of like give up on it. Some people yeah. just don't even bother with it. We, we looked at some of the ones that we've received, and it'll be like two-thirds of the way down the page before it's sudden, it it casually mentions that your Social Security number is involved. Well, that's right. something you need to know right away. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Now, so you've done a lot of work in the AG's office on on data breaches, including publishing your annual reports. And I understand you have a new report that's going to be coming out soon, right? Yeah, pretty soon. Um, In the next month or so, 
we, you know, since 2012, companies and, and agencies have been required to report to the Attorney General when they have a breach that affects more than 500 Californians. Right. So there, there have been more than 650 breaches of that size reported to us in the past four years. Wow. And we're going to cover all of them in the breach report that we're doing right now. So when we get these notices and get this information from, from the companies and other organizations, we, we post the notices on our website so you can go see them, which can be useful in a number of ways, including if you've got one and you're wondering if it's real. Um, Right. We, we, all, <laughs> yep. we, we also look into them. Sometimes we uh, may take an enforcement action in relation to a data breach, but every time we're looking for trends that, that they may reveal the different breaches about uh, patterns of vulnerability or new threats or new business practices that are proving problematic, and we're looking for lessons that we can share. And that's the point of publishing our reports is we, we summarize what we see in various ways and point to some of the lessons and make some recommendations about what companies can do or maybe for legislation. So, Joan, in terms of getting these 650 uh, notices that you find out about, what are the major industries that are involved in these security breaches? Yeah, well, you know, it's everybody. Uh-huh. Um, all, all, all industry sectors, organizations of all sizes, about 15% of the breaches that are reported to us are smaller businesses. Um, there's a, another about 15% where we don't know if they're big or small, so there, it may actually be more. So it's not just great big companies right. that are experiencing these things. It's even even small Small retailers, restaurants, uh, law firms, uh, CPA firms, medical and dental practices. But the three top industry sectors are retail, which is a quarter of the breaches, retail. And that's, of course, mostly payment card data. And then finance, you know, where the money is. Right, Um, right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, 18% of them. And then healthcare, 16%. And uh, both of those sectors often have social security number involved, which makes it particularly problematic. And of course, medical information is very sensitive. Right, right. So those, those, I I would imagine that those would be the three top. Yeah. Yeah. Not surprising, but, but there are also breaches in various professional services, such as I mentioned, like CPA firms and law firms and uh, government agencies, education, Doctor's hotels, offices, restaurants. Right? Dentist's oh, yeah. office, yeah, oh, yes. everything. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yep. Now, um, do you also get information as to the cause of the breach, whether it was like uh, unintentional or whether it was malicious or whether it was a dirty insider? or, or what, what do you find out about the breaches? Do they have to report anything that they know about that? Yeah, we, we, we learn more about them. And uh, more than half of them, about 54% in this four years' worth, are the result of external malicious malware and hackers. You know, uh-huh. so it, that's real genuine attacks, sometimes from... Uh, for financial reasons, sometimes uh, for business disruption, all, all sorts of pur- purposes. But oh. that's more than half of them, so that's definitely happening. So Not- when you're talking about business disruption, are you talking about maybe competitors or 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 people who are or, or angry, ex-employees? Ex- or, or nation states. There's all oh, yeah, organized, yeah. 
yeah, there's, there's lots, lots going on. Okay. Lots going on in that regard. So that, that's more than half. The next yeah. biggest type is theft or loss of unencrypted data on like a laptop or a thumb drive. That's 22%. And you know, this just blows my mind because, gosh, way back when we started with our security breach legislation, we had that carrot and the stick. If you encrypt, you don't have to report, right? Exactly. Because you don't have to notify people because the data can't hurt them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So you would think after all these years, when was the first law? Like when we had that was 2003? Yeah. Yeah. So you would think this is, oh my gosh, this is what? It has gone down. That type has gone down over the four years, but not not across all sectors. So for example, it's significantly more of a problem in healthcare than in other industry groups. They just can't catch up. They just can't seem to catch up. You know, that that seems to be part of it. Um, Hmm. Then, so the, so then there's the clearly insider. Not that there isn't some role of insiders in, in hacking and malware if, if inadequate security is what made it possible, or theft or loss if if you know the insiders didn't encrypt it. But right. now, just purely insiders, about 17% of the breaches were caused by unintentional errors, like right. posting something on a public website that they didn't realize was public. Right. You know, I, th- I thought it was hidden in this folder. Or <laughs> sending an email with personal information in it to the wrong place. You know, that, or putting, uh, uh, say, data storage tapes or other kinds of records with information on them, dis- disposing of it without making it secure. Right. So, so there's the unintentional. Unintentional. Yeah, then, there's the unintentional, and then there could be intentional then insiders. Then there's the intentional. Yeah. When in- insiders abuse their privileges to right. access or take data that they aren't supposed to. That's about 7%. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I guess the unintentional goes with the negligent ones. <laughs> you would and, think that if they're trained, you know, or they're they're not trained, or they are not, uh, there's no follow-up, there's no feedback, you know, uh, there's the totally unconscious, <laughs> unintentional. Well, so uh, obviously training is a big part of, of preventing that sort of thing, but, but there are other uh, controls that can be put in place also, uh, such as limiting the number of people who have access to sensitive data right. so that they don't have the opportunity <laughs> to make a mistake, uh, and then monitoring the, the few who do, and, you know, that you can catch, if you catch it sooner, it is less problematic than when lots has happened. Right. Um, so, and using technological means to make it harder for insiders to make mistakes right. is something that can and should be done. Right. I think the human factor is the hardest thing to really control because, you know, you could have all these wonderful technological things and then somebody does something, you know, that is outside of that or somehow there is no way to catch that, then then it becomes a, a real a real mm-hmm. problem. So mm-hmm. that's when it comes that's why the training and the oversight and the and you know, from the top down being mm-hmm. really um, building a real culture internally of how important that is. And, and yeah. you know, that, that, that's certainly, just as in the outside world, through the news media, et cetera, people are more alert to privacy issues. Internally, people are becoming more alert as well. I, I see this in a lot of organizations that I interact with. So, yeah. you know, you, once people become aware of it and that their information is in the hands of their 
employer as well as customer information, for example, um, can be very motivating if, if they're constantly kept aware of that. And I think, you know, your department, the Privacy and Enforcement Protection Unit of the the Department of Justice, I think that has made a tremendous, in, that's had a tremendous influence because you actually have the ability to enforce, like when it was the Office of Privacy Protection, you didn't have any ability to enforce anything. And now mm-hmm. you, you have a little bit, you have some teeth. Did you know you could grow teeth again? <laughs> yes, yes. Very nice. And, and you know, um, while uh, enforcement can be very educational, we, we, we also continue to believe that, that education such as pre- presenting these breach reports with findings and then recommendations on things that, that businesses can do to reduce their risk of having a data breach and reduce the impact when they do, that that, that has, continues to have a role along with enforcement. Yes, and I think the recommendations that your office has been putting out has been so incredibly helpful. And I, before I forget, I want to say a few times, the website, it's privacy.ca.gov, and then they can look at all of the headnotes and choose what they want to look at, resources, and then you'll have that report up soon. Yep. That will have those recommendations as well. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about the Internet of Things because that that scares me. I mean, I, 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 there's so many wonderful things with the Internet of Things, but there's so many dangers. Let's let's talk about that and um, all the millions of things from fitness wearables to TV. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about what what laws are are out there now. Well, and. This is a case where the law kind of ha- has a difficult time keeping up with techno- technology as it as it changes. Right. So as more and more things become on go online or connected to the internet, and these things are are collecting information on our homes, on our cars, and basically on us. Yes, uh, it's it can be very difficult to figure out whether existing laws provide enough appropriate protection. So many. Internet of Things uh, uh, things <laughs> would come under various existing laws, but we've also had some laws in California in the past 10 years or so that have addressed some specific technologies in the inter- Internet of Things. So, for example, uh, way back in the early 2000s, we had a couple of laws um, limit related to things collecting data in cars, like event data recorders, right. and lim- limiting how car companies can use that information. Right. And, and we've had some laws on smart meters. You know, we put them in our homes so we can manage our electricity or gas consumption and so the utilities can operate more efficiently. Well, that produces a lot of information on what's going on inside your house when you're there, when you're not, and so what appliances you might have. There are some laws related, some privacy requirements related to that. And most recently, just passed, passed in two. 2015, taking effect in 2016, is a new law regarding connected TVs. Mm-hmm. Remember, there was a little news story on, on this earlier in 2015 about some connected TVs that can be voice-operated. And so in order for a voice-operated system to work, it has to learn how you talk and, and get smart and be able to recognize what you say, so it's recording you. And it was discovered that some of these TVs we're recording conversations you might have while in the room watching television. Yeah, and a lot of people have their TV on when they're in their bedroom. Uh, 
Oh dear. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, you know, what's going on with that? Where is that data going? What's that right. being used for? And so on. And so a new law that just took effect in 2016 regarding connected TVs says that when a, a TV is going to offer voice control and recorded conversation, it has to provide a prominent notice to the consumer of, that this feature exists and it prohibits um, the data from it being used for advertising purposes. Wow. Can they also turn that off? I mean, is there something yes. that makes it, yes. you know, really it, noticeable to turn it off? You can turn it off. I, I, it's, it's not part of the law, but you can turn it off. But okay. then, you know, you lose, you lose the voice control ability. But, right, yeah. right. I mean, so, but, you know, you know, I remember we had to get up and walk across the room and turn the dial. I know. So what's <laughs> the big deal about using a remote? I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess everybody well, loves their technology. My, to my me. pile of seven remotes <laughs> get a little confusing. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then there's this drone bill. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about yeah. next because I see them like when we've been in the harbor. There are you know especially for like the boat parade, we saw all these drones overhead, mm-hmm. which I were I was afraid they were going to hit each other and you know and, crash and indeed, on somebody. That is some some of the concerns regarding drones now. They've become so popular and so affordable. Our air safety and various safety issues and the the FAA is gradually addressing that aspect of it, although only above a certain level, 400 feet or so. But there have been a number of bills through the legislature that didn't make it into law over the past couple of years to put some limits on on drones from the perspective of uh, spying on people. Right, right. You know, whether they're operated by the government or a your neighbor. Right. And and one of them that, that passed in, in 2015 uh, amends the existing law on physical invasion of privacy, which it now says, you know, it's like the trespass law that right. says that if you knowingly enter on somebody's, into somebody's property um, without permission, it, it's actually the sort of paparazzi one. Right. In order to capture pictures or recordings or whatever, then you're, you are considered to be committing a physical invasion of privacy, and there are penalties like um, actual damages and civil fines of between $5,000 and $50,000. Right, well, right. this new law says not just entering onto the land, but or into the airspace above the yes, land. Yes, yes. And I, I think that was probably pushed also by the celebrities, you know, that they mm-hmm. if they want to have a wedding or something and they don't want mm-hmm. anybody to know who's there and see it. But, I mean, even for me, you know, if I want to be out in my backyard and, and uh, I, I don't want the drone coming and taking pictures of me yeah, either. exactly. Yeah. So, that, yeah, I, that's a, yeah, and I worry about drones, you know, hitting airplanes and getting yes. in the way of airplanes. You know, that that is another thing that it, and he- I think. And helicopters. There have been those issues with the fire Yes. Fire helicopters, and so that's that's the FAA's arena. Yeah, but I mean, it also goes to the issue of privacy. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of issues with these drones. How about? Um, well, here we are on the campus at the University of California, Irvine. So what about the Student Online Personal Information Privacy Act? Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, this 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 just took effect in 2016. All that was passed in 2014, and this this applies to ed tech, ed tech, education technology that is directed to school, K-12 school purposes. So it's, mm-hmm. it's things that are can be in, nifty little apps that can help somebody learn math or, or uh, 
reading assistance or, you know, there's all sorts of Sure, apps foreign language, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh-huh. But, but the, the key here for when this applies is when it's, it's used for and directed to K-12 student purposes, which is defined as something that the teacher or the school or, you know, something that's related to the school. It's, it's got an obvious definition. And what it basically does is it says when inf- data from the students who are using these things can only be used for K-12 school purposes. It can't be used for marketing or anything else. Right, it, says right. it can't be used for K-12 school purposes. And, and in particular, it can't be used for targeted advertising or profiling in order to do targeted advertising. So right. school tech is for school. Right. Right. That, that's the gist of it. And California was the first state to enact a law like this, and several other states have since followed. And we're, we're working on a, a, a best practices guide for the ed tech industry on student privacy that, that will, you know, th- for which this law will be a floor, but we're, we're sort of aiming at an even higher level at some, some right. ways to be very privacy respectful. Right. Right, and and you wouldn't want that information to just get out to anyone for mm-hmm. cyberbullying and you know mm-hmm. other other reasons too. You know that could and, be and a at, challenge. And at the same time, you know we we want to acknowledge that there are some wonderful educational potential to right. this kind of technology, and so there's appropriate uses that are very promising. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit. I had on a couple attorneys to talk about the revenge porn laws. Ah, Why don't we talk about that? Because that's been in the newspaper quite a bit. And like I said, we've had attorneys to to talk about these laws on our show. So what's happened with that? Okay, well, we've had a a, a few more laws to kind of shore up um, California's legal regime in in this arena. But I think a a good way to start talking about it is to tell you about... um, a case that the Attorney General's e-crime unit brought in 2015, which was the first criminal prosecution of a cyber exploitation website. And in this case, the, the guilty party um, was, had a website called You Got Posted and on which he would post uh, nude and compromising pictures of women along with links to their Facebook Mm. Uh, accounts, their names, sometimes other personal information along with it, and then had a companion site where the the victims could pay to have it removed. Extortion. Extortion. <laughs> and so that case was actually uh, not brought under the cyber exploitation laws because it, it started before the, the laws had been passed. So right. it was identity theft, extortions, existing laws. Right. But one of the, the the really interesting, I think, change to that whole legal scheme that just happened is it uh, allows the uh, law enforcement to confiscate the images in a in a cyber exploitation case. It was possible; it has been possible up until this law was passed. Um, for somebody to be convicted, and yet, if unless the 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 guilty party had stolen the images, say it was somebody who had had a former relationship and hadn't actually stolen the images, right, but they right, were, right. Um, unless unless the images were stolen, he would still be in in lawful possession of them. And right. So, this new law says that once somebody has been convicted, then the images and any sort of media that contain them can be confiscated, 
and they can even go to places where they have been uh, passed on and distributed and, and, and get them back. And it also allows, by special petition, um, even before conviction, it allows for seizing them. Yeah, I think the sad sad part about that, though, is that it could have been copied places that, you know, it could take you forever to get that information down. So it was something that you you really need to shut down these kind of uh, websites that are putting things up without someone's position. Yeah. You know, permission. Permission, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, we only have about another minute, so I just want you to... uh, Please give your website and any tell us real quickly some of the things that people can find on that website. Okay. It's privacy.ca.gov. And on it, we, we have a whole host of consumer information sheets on topics like how to protect your location information on your phone, what settings to, to use to, to keep that private, um, what to do if you get a breach notice. There's lots of great consumer information. There's also a link to where the listing of all the breach notices that have been posted. There's business privacy guides on mobile privacy app, mobile app privacy on medical identity theft. It's lists of current pending legislation and links to California and federal privacy laws. Yes, it is a fabulous website. I send people there all the time. You are wonderful, Joan McNabb, Director of the Privacy Education and Policy and the Privacy Enforcement and Protection Unit in the California Department of Justice. You are wonderful. Keep up all the great work, and we will have you back again to keep us informed. Thanks, Mari. Keep, you keep up the good work. Okay, take care. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye, and Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.